Chapter 12 of A Mystery of the Woods by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 As they drew near, the detective arose and with a graceful motion lifted his cap from his head. The old trapper lifted his own broad palm to his whitened locks in a manner which suggested his earlier military service. This is Mr. Carson, Herbert said, speaking to the trapper, and then he added, Mr. Carson, this is John Norton. For a moment the two men stood looking at each other, the younger with a look of pleasure and admiration on his face that he made no effort to conceal, the elder with calm, observant eyes which seemed without special effort to take in the whole man. "'I'm glad to see you, John Norton,' said the detective. "'I have heard of you since I was a boy.' "'It may be, yes, it may be,' answered the trapper. Many people have heard of me in the last sixty year, and many be the people I have knowed, and so I dare say ye have heard of me. I was looking for you, continued the other, when I fortunately ran across Mr. Herbert here. I have a job on hand, and I want your help in the name of the law. I have mighty poor ideas of the law, answered the trapper, for I never knowed a vagabond that couldn't use it to cover him in his devilments or a poor hunter get his rights in the courts of the settlements. I found a little lead judiciously spent, a better protection to a man's pelts than lawn. But what be your business, young man? asked the trapper, while his eyes continued to dwell calmly but searchingly on the other's face. I am a detective, responded the other. The old man remained silent a moment, as if weighing the other's words. And then he said, I don't understand you. "'My business, John Norton,' answered the other, "'is to find out and help punish rogues, "'and in the cities they call the man who does that a detective. "'The business is a good un if it be well followed," replied the trapper. "'I've did a good deal of that sort of work myself while I've been on the earth. "'Do you do your scouting in the woods or the settlements, young man?' "'Altogether in the cities,' was the reply." That's where we find the rogues, John Norton. The knaves be found everywhere, answered the trapper. The cabins be thicker in the settlements than the woods, and where the cabins be too thick the camp is apt to quarrel, as I've noted. But if your business be to find the rogues in the settlements, for what cause have you pushed your trail into the woods until you stand twice a hundred mile as a goose flies from the plowed fields of the settlers? I followed a gang of outlaws from Quebec was the reply. I chased them three hundred miles until they buried themselves in the woods, and then, determined not to be balked of the game, I bought a boat and followed their course the best I could until I lost them altogether at the three ponds this side of Indian Carry. Your eye is a good un, young man, answered the trapper, upon whose mind the direct speech and the cool earnestness of the detective were making a favorable impression. Ye hung to the knaves as a dog of good breeding hangs to a scent, but how came ye to come further than the three ponds? You said you lost the trail there. I met a man on a carry, answered the detective. I told him my errand. What sort of man was he? asked the other. He was drunk, was the sententious reply. That settles it, replied the trapper. Yes, that certainly settles it. Twas Wild Bill. It's a shame that a man with his gifts will give his wits to the care of a bottle. For when he be sober, his eye is a good un, and I have seen him shoot in a way that ought to count a good deal again its habits, 
when the Lord balances his account in the judgment. What did Wild Bill say to you? He told me if I wanted to find the rogues, I must find you first, responded the other. The man couldn't have been more than half drunk, answered the trapper, for his advice was judicious, and so you followed on, did you? Yes, I followed on, replied the detective, and I struck your camp this morning. I ran upon your cabin here, and I opened the door and found— What did you find? asked the trapper, interrupting him. I found the muzzles of a double rifle and a steady face back of it, answered the other, laughing as he looked at Herbert. I thought as much, replied the old man, and he laughed in his silent but hearty fashion. You be never quite certain what you'll find behind the door when you open it suddenly. But who be the rogues you be following? There are seven in all, answered the detective, a half-breed and four cutthroats, a gentlemanly rascal who's a leader, and a creature they call the giant. The vagabonds be on the point yonder, answered the trapper, and he motioned with his hand to the south. God be praised, shouted the other, and his face, ordinarily pale, flushed in his excitement. John Norton, do you know what the rascals have with them? They have a big tent, for one thing, was the cool reply. In the tent, in the tent. What is there in the tent? Do you know that? queried the other excitedly. I don't know for certain, Mr. Carson, replied the old man. Though my knife has been in the canvas, and hadn't the boy yonder been foolish? And he pointed to the Yankee who was standing just back of him, whittling a stick, and who now, from excited curiosity, drew nigher, so he might not lose a word that was said. If it hadn't been for the boy's foolishness, in another minute I'd have knowed what the big tent had in it. So you want to know what is in the tent, John Norton? reiterated the detective. Certain, certain, answered the trapper. I know the vagabonds have something in the tent they oughtn't to have, and I know it's a human being, for my ear has been at the canvas, and I've heard the motions within, and they be motions of a man and not of a beast. And by the sounds of the motion, I think the man be a woman. You have hit the nail on the head, John Norton, responded the detective. The gang at the point are kidnappers. There's a woman in the tent, and that's her picture. And the detective drew a case from the pocket of his coat, opened it, and with a quick motion thrust it out toward the trapper and Herbert. Herbert and the trapper gazed at the pictured face before them without a word, and the picture they gazed at was this. The picture of a room, large and high, on the walls were paintings. On two of the corners, marble statuary gleamed white between the half-drawn curtains. The floor was richly carpeted, a costly rug with a picture of a knight in full armor woven into it with bright colors. In the center of the room, a table. On it, a few books. By the table stood a girl, at that age when the girl is almost rounded out into a woman. She was tall in stature and stood erect, her head slightly lifted, her hair of light brown, unconfined, fell to her waist, eyes large, above which were strongly marked brows, the forehead low and white, and her hair above rippled on the white line of it, the mouth, some would say, over-large, her nose abundant, the cheeks not yet rounded full, a large-sized, tender, clean-cut, womanly face, a face to pray to, if you were a devotee, a face to die for, if you were heroic. The eyes in the picture were both a splendor and a disappointment. They were all they should be, or all they could be, 
But in them was something, was it too deep a shade? Was it too bright a gleam? Had the artist, in touching up the portrait, made a mistake and marred nature? No matter from what cause, there was a look in the eyes that oughtn't to be there in one so young, an over-intent look, as if she was suddenly alert or too tense from uncontrollable nervousness. The face is a good un, said the trapper as he studied it. The Lord has gin her much, but he has kept back something, for the eyes be not right. I have seen the same look in the eyes of a hound when he heard the sharp voice of his master and couldn't get the line of his call, and there's a line round the mouth that oughtn't to be there in one of her ears, for she be young, and the young ought to chatter like the little wren under the eaves of a cabin. John Norton, exclaimed the detective excitedly, I thought my eyes were trained to note things closely, but you have seen what I didn't see. And I'll tell them at the office when I get back that a trapper in the woods saw at a glance what the whole corps studied over for days without finding the clue. Very like, very like, said the trapper carelessly. I have lived in the woods nigh on to seventy year, and many be the times of my eyes save my scalp, and little be the service that the eye does a man, whether it be in the woods or the cities, unless it tells him the meaning of things. What's the matter with a girl, Mr. Carson? She is partially blind, exclaimed the other. The ways of the Lord be past finding out, said the trapper reverently, and his judgments in the main be beyond doubt correct. But arter my way of thinking, and I ask his pardon if the thought be evil of me, arter my way of thinking, ye give the girl too much, unless he purpose to give her more, for the form of her features be perfect, and the gifts of her senses should not have been won. Henry? Did you ever see a handsomer face? I have seen many women in gladness and grief both, but I've never seen a woman whose gladness or grief touched my feelings deeper. If the vagabonds hurt a hair of her innocent head, they'd die without mercy. She is indeed beautiful, answered Henry, and it may be the very loss she endures has contributed to make her more beautiful. For with all the strength and brilliancy that her countenance shows, there is the suggestion of a sweeter and tenderer sort, a look of forming patience on her face as one who, knowing her deprivation, has at last disciplined her soul to bear it. Be seated, gentlemen, said the detective. I will tell you the story of the girl in the tent. They did as requested, and for half an hour the detective had the three for his auditors. The detective finished his narration, he looked into the eager and flushed faces of his companions and said, as he closed the story, "'What do you think of that, gentlemen?' "'Her uncle is a vagabond!' exclaimed the trapper. "'I'd give a pack of my best pelts if he was on the point, and I lay within range you could line the sights on him. "'I hope I shall be ready, Henry, when the time comes to go,' said the old man, turning to Herbert." but I'm afeard that there won't be one left to serve the Lord with any earnestness in the direction of my gifts when I've emptied the horn and come to the last bullet in the pouch. Lord, how I've peppered the vagabonds off and on since I sighted on the first scamp I run again sixty year agone on the yonder side of the horicon. Do you think, asked the detective, that any harm has come to the girl? I concede not, answered the trapper. The black moor guards the door of the tent, and he owns no master but the gambler. And though the young man's in bad company, and will probably go to the devil himself, 
yet he has a good deal of good stuff in him. You should have seen him shoot with his little pistol, Henry. You see, we had a little match right on the beach here one morning, and we shot again each other, and he actually made me a little careful how I held the piece. You see, he's in the scrape, as I get it, to help a friend, and while he is determined to carry out his point, yes, he actually tried to shoot me in the camp this morning, yet I am certain that he would see no hurt come to the girl. But, of course, the quicker she be out of the tent and in a good, honest cabin with honest folks, the better it'll be. Will you please tell me, John Norton, all that has occurred? asked the detective. You have had some fighting, that I know. But how the outlaws are placed and what's the best plan to adopt, I don't know. Will you therefore please tell me all that has happened and give me your advice? The trapper consented and narrated in brief all that had occurred dwelling with a special fullness upon his fight in the cabin, and the bravery of the Yankee. Indeed, he pronounced a eulogy on Jim Bean of a character to place him high in the esteem of his companions, passing over as lightly as he could the whistling exercise, by which his well-laid and boldly executed plan on discovering who was in the tent had been made a failure. The result of the narration was that the detective and the Yankee were especially delighted the one that instead of two he could count on three brave assistants in the forthcoming struggle, and the other that his bravery was so handsomely acknowledged and his foolishness was so easily smoothed over. And now, gentlemen, said the detective, since I know the true condition of things, the question arises, and it is well that I should ask at this point, will you help me deliver the girl? Sergeant, answered the trapper, and mighty sharp work we'll make of it, too, if worse comes to worst, though I hope it may be did without overmuch shedding of blood, for the half-breed and his gang be bent on murder in me, and when it comes to such a point, and the scrimmage be joined, it won't do to throw away your lead. What do you think is the best plan, John Norton? asked Herbert. I don't concede to the vagabonds will leave the plan into me, for I sort of got the better of them since they come to the lake and they're pretty bitter in their feelings. Yes, I poked them up pretty sharp, and the probabilities is that they be madder than hornets when you've kicked again their nest. I certainly concede that the vagabonds will save us the trouble of visiting them, for their blood be up, and when wrath comes in, wisdom goes out. I shouldn't be surprised if you hear the crack of their pieces. The old man never finished the sentence, for a violent push from Herbert sent both the detective and the trapper to the ground, the young man himself following at the same instant. The movement of Henry, sudden and violent as it was, was that of character which, though opposed to all rules of etiquette, needed no apology, as it doubtless saved their lives. For as the two men rolled upon the ground, two rifles cracked simultaneously, fired from either corner of the trapper's cabin, not fifteen rods away. Herbert, while listening to the trapper, had by merest accident chanced to turn his eyes in the direction of the cabin, and saw the deadly barrels projecting from the angles of the logs, rightly divining that the first objects of their murderous design would be the detective, whom they hoped to escape, and the trapper, whom they hated. He had, regardless of his own safety, pushed them violently from their seats to the ground. The old trapper escaped unscarred, but the detective, as he fell, was aware by the tingling sensation that a bullet had cut through the flesh of the arm below the shoulder. The moment he had pushed his companions from the log, Herbert himself dropped to the ground, and shouting to the Yankee to dive down the bank, had rolled himself back of a rock several yards away, 
and which gave him ample protection. The Yankee needed no second warning, for the experience he had already had since he broke into the trapper's cabin on the night of the fight had sharpened his wits to the true nature of an emergency, and, therefore, when Herbert called, even as the pieces cracked with a single jump he cleared the brow of the bank and landed on the beach twenty feet below. The old trapper, with a quickness which gave evidence of his agility, had done precisely what Herbert had, and now, crouched behind a rock, was ready for action. The detective, with equal wit, feeling himself amply covered, lay closely up under the huge log on which he had been sitting, his revolver in hand, and his face white with pain, but calm with a calmness of coolest courage. "'Henry,' said the trapper, "'you have did me many a service, but never a better than you did me just now. "'Twas judiciously did, boy, and I will remember it to your credit. "'And I dare say Mr. Carson, though the lead got into him a little, won't forget you, "'for a mortal is apt to remember a man that saves his life. "'Yes, Henry,' Yes, I see the vagabonds and the blackmore be down by the beech stump to the left of the spring. I doubt if they make a rush, for they know that the first one that uncovers his ambushment will die. There's a speck of red flannel that shows itself on the north side of the beech tree yonder. A little practice won't hurt you any, and if your bullet gets into it, leaving half of its width on the bark as it passes, it'll learn the vagabond to lie closer. You did well continued the trapper, for Herbert's rifle had cracked while he was speaking. You did well, for you started the bark handsomely. And don't you fear of getting your bullets into the bodies of the vagabonds, for the law's on our side, and the right, too, which isn't always the case, as I conceit. But when they do get together, a man who knows how to shoot shouldn't waste his powder. Come, Mr. Carson, what say ye? I see you've got your pistol ready and there's six holes in the end of it. Shall we make a rush at the knaves? I think the vagabonds will show us their backs when they hear the number of our pieces, and two or three of them get a touch of our lead. Yes, John Norton, answered the detective, and he half gathered himself for a spring from behind the log. Let's charge on the rascals. You'll find me in front when you give the word. Take it cool, Mr. Carson, take it cool, answered the trapper. When you move up into an ambushment, never move but a few steps at a time, and be sure to keep yourself well covered. James, he called to the Yankee under the bank, the vagabonds that trust you up to the tree be in front of us, and we are going to move up a little nigher. I see the blackmore back of the stump where the bank runs through the beach into the lake, and I doubt if he has any whipping but his fist. Do you feel like having a little set to with the man that tossed you into the air a little roughly this morning? Do I, old man, answered the Yankee from beneath the bank. Just let me get my eyes on the nigger. Yes, you let me get a square hold on him, and then you fellers just set down on the logs, and if you don't see the darndest up-and-down wrestling match you ever set your eyes on, my name ain't Jim Bean. Where is he, old man? Right ahead of you. It'll take two moves to get at him. Go to the ledge first when I give the word. Mr. Carson, jump for the dead pine in front of you. Henry, dash into the hazel bush to the right. Ready? Keep under cover, boy. Keep under cover, continued the old man to Herbert. Now! End of chapter 12